Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Now also a weekly segment on Slam Radio's Miami Herald Sports Hour on Sirius XM. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by Andre Fernandez. Dre, how have you been? I'm good, man. Not as good as you, though. I mean, I, I was shocked when I got the text from you. I was like, I haven't heard from this guy in weeks. I mean, I mean where's he been? I mean, I don't know who's been running this show the last couple of weeks, but I guess it's been on maybe you pre-recorded like three of them or something. I, I don't know, man. I, nobody knows where you've been. You've got a shortstop uh, worried about you, you know, calling you out on Zoom, all that I stuff. I knew you like, were going to go there. How much did Miggy pay you to save us? Just seriously, yeah. how much How much did Miggy have to have to twist your arm? I don't think he had to twist your arm much, but how much did he have to twist your arm to say that? I'm, I'm still figuring out a way to collect, but I think some sometime down the road I'll collect. No, but this man, in all seriousness, though, this man, I'm, I'm shocked when this man takes a vacation. So even two days for him, he's like, you know, I, I used to have that job. So I know that, that he's the hardest working man in show business these days. I mean, he's... He's, he's working on planes. He's working in press boxes. I mean, he's, you know, Jordan, Jordan, you, you, you do, a, you're doing a lot for a good old one Herald Plaza these days. And not just these days for a long time now. Yeah. And to provide a little bit of context for you guys, if you didn't see me put it on Twitter or hear Miguel Rojas flat out, call me out. I did take two days off during the short six game homestand after being on the last road trip and now getting ready to be on these, the next three-city road trip. And Miguel Rojas talked during the first press conference that I was off, and he went, he asked everyone at the end going, okay, guys, where's Jordan? It feels like I haven't seen him in three weeks. I hope he's having a nice vacation. Which, yeah. in Miguel Rojas's defense, on, from my standpoint, being off for two days in a row really does feel like three weeks at times. So... I can understand the time frame part with that. I mean, it's a long season. And this also goes back to the fact that when we're not talking with the guys on Zoom, on a, when we're not talking to guys on Zoom, we don't see them. We're not baseball in the players like don't have a, Baseball players don't have a day off. That's why. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not in their DNA. Even when, even when they're not playing a game, you know they're doing something. So it, in Miggy's brain, it's like after a few hours, like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. And also, again, with the fact that we're not in the clubhouse every day, we're not on the field watching BP when we don't talk to guys for on Zoom for a couple weeks at a time, which was the case with Miggy at that point. It really does feel like a while before we're actually interacting with people again, which is one of the the drawbacks of the situation we're currently still. And that was the difference, especially with Miggy, because Miggy, we know every day when when it used to be in the in the old format pre-COVID where we could just like walk in. We talked to him. If it wasn't every day, it was pretty much every other day because he, you know, and to his credit, always a professional and, and being making himself available, win or lose. You know, it was like he was the one that we would always talk to. And we always like, you know, built that up with him for a long time. You know, being being someone that was, you know, not to get into the long story, but we know he's become the captain. And, you know, and that's why because of that professionalism and always being being around to be the voice of the team. And now to shift from my vacation to the production on the field and the job outside of the vacation. <laughs> the one the people Mar- care about. <laughs> the one people care about. Uh, the Marlins just finished up a short six-game homestand. Started off really, really well. They sweep the Diamondbacks. They take the series opener against Milwaukee Brewers. 
And then the offense just falls flat in the final two games. Six runs or six hits in each of the games, three total runs. They lose the last game two to one in extra innings. A lot of good came out of it, but it still is just that latest reminder of we see the bright spots and then we see that there's still just that there's still that next step that needs to be taken. Dre, what was just your evaluation of that six game set? I mean, that, that's why you see this team continue to be kind of the high and the extremes, like high and low, you know. And that's why if you, when you look at that anomaly in the NL East right now, of them being the best point uh, run differential, sorry. But at the same time, I think I saw a stat thrown out there yesterday that they have not had, they have not occupied being over 500 at all, even right. though run differential wise, they're the best team in the NL. And that's why, because you see these outbursts and these games for these little spurts where they put it together offensively, and then you'll see they'll win eight to one or nine to two, whatever it is. But then you have games like, you know, the last couple of days, and then it disappears. And then the L column gets fed, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, so unfortunately that's the, that's what they are right now, especially when they're not, you know, completely healthy. I mean, you have pieces that are missing right now in the lineup and obviously the starting pitching, a few big arms are, are down right now. So until you have a complete, we're not going to have it again. It's still, or it's still at the point right now, only a month or so in that we haven't seen a complete picture of this team. We've only seen little positive and negative bits of them. And I think until they get healthy, you know, and then they're able to get all the pieces back together, we're not going to really know. And not only get them back, but get them back for a, for a, a, a decent amount of time together. And, and if they can do that, then we'll finally get a, a clear outlook. But I think this road trip, looking forward a little bit, this 10-gamer coming up is going to be very crucial because, you know, you got the world champions in there. You know, this Diamondbacks team that they just faced the other day gave them, you know, a, a, you know they, they they played well against them. But now you shift and now you now you face them over there. They've seen you. You're pitching a little bit. Let's see how they respond to that. And then, of course, the Phillies, you know, always the big, you know, division rival there. They've had success in recent years up in Philadelphia. So we'll see if some of that can carry over. Yeah. And you mentioned the close games and they had the outbursts here and the closing there. 15 of Miami's 18 losses by three runs or fewer. Right. So it's showing the, again, they have the plus 20 run differential. Nobody else heading into the week in the National League is better than uh, minus three, and that's the Mets who have a th- who are three games over 500. But the Marlins building, digging themselves in that one and six hole with a lot of close games and then having to claw their way out, they're lucky that they're in a division that's, to the point where you're three games under and you're still three games out of first place. No, no one's, no one's taken this division yet, you know, at all. Like even, even at a, a major spurt yet, you're still kind of waiting to see what Atlanta's going to do. They've had some injuries as well. The key guys, you know, you're waiting to see Washington, you know, kind of righted the ship a little bit with the pitching lately, you know, Scherzer was great the other day against the Marlins. Yes, he was. But again, nobody, yeah, but again, nobody really, and now, now the Grom's got a little bit of an issue as well with the Mets. So nobody's really just like surged yet. So the Marlins are, you know, doing what they have to do to kind of stay in the fight for now. And you hope they can keep doing that. I mean, another tough road trip now. And then, and then after the homestand following this road trip, another three city tour. So it's like, I, I feel like 
you know, they, as much as people, you know, are, are, are taking note of your vacation days, I want to take note of the Marlins road days so far this season. I mean, it feels like they've been on the road the, almost the entire time. So, you know, in a way that can flip real quick, if they can stay, you know, treading water the way they have been. And then once they come out of that, they're going to get a nice little homestand, you know, going there where they might be able to gain some momentum, especially if a lot of those guys are back. But again, I think it just comes down to the hitting. If they can get, you know, once they get jazz back and we're going to transition to our next segment, now talking about jazz and Alfaro, (laughs) but you know, that's, you know, that to me, that's the key. If they can get some production going from Alfaro and especially jazz, because he's been so vital to that offense. Yeah. Now to segue to that injury update, uh, Brian Anderson came back at the start of the homestand, started uh, five of the six games at third base. Donnie gave him one day of rest in between just because, again, it was an oblique injury. They are going to be playing uh, 10 games in the next 11 days on the road. They don't want to overexert him too early, give him a day off here and there just to make sure that that oblique injury not something doesn't come back with it. Uh, Jazz and Jazz Chisholm and Jorge Alfaro, both who were dealing with hamstring issues, are scheduled to start rehab assignments on Tuesday. Marlins general manager Kim Ang said on the TV broadcast Friday that the hope is that if all goes well, they'll be able to join the team by this weekend, which would put them on track to return either in the LA series this weekend or the series after that when they close out the road trip in Philadelphia. And then Eliezer Hernandez threw a live threw a live uh, BP session to Jazz Chisholm and Jorge Alfaro on Saturday, which progresses him to the point where hopefully he can start a rehab assignment. But then you still have to get him built up, so right. he's still going to be a little bit of a ways away. But he is luckily the farthest along of the starting pitching trio now, which the others are uh, Edward Cabrera, who threw a bullpen session. Sixto Sanchez is still working on flat ground. So Sixto, Kim said the earliest to expect him is June. Uh, Edward Cabrera looks like he'll be closer, but obviously you're going to need to start him in AAA just because he hasn't been the big leagues and you don't want to just throw him into the fire right after an injury. But Sixto will likely be June. And then George Guzman, who was part of that quartet, got moved to the 60-day IL. So he's going to be a ways away if we see him at any point right now. But again, they're getting healthier. You're seeing movement. Also, Starling Marte started taking dry swings after fracturing the rib. So, oh yeah, Starling Marte. Yeah. Let's not yeah. forget about how good, big he's been. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's been pretty valuable before that injury, no doubt about it. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I guess he kind of got lost by the fact that Lewis Brinson was actually has actually been filling his spot pretty well, especially this home yeah, game. You has. gotta give Lou a lot of credit for what he's done. Yeah. throughout this homestand and toward the end of that road trip to finally look like things are starting to come together. What a fun series for Lou, too. We get to do it against Milwaukee a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we know, the team that that traded him. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it, it's good to see because we even talked about that. I think it was you know, the last show or the one before about, you know, Brinson getting that opportunity again. And he's he, he's rolling with it like he's he's seizing the chance and and you know he's looked a lot better at the plate you know you're starting to see you, you see the power that's always been there if he can be more consistent at the plate and you know this is his chance like I said he had built a little bit last year and when there was some positivity finally for him in terms of you know the results he was putting up and now he's been able to carry that over a little bit and wouldn't it be something if he could kind of, you know, seize that job down the road where you're talking about all these outfielders on the way up, 
and he's kind of he was in, he's been in danger of being that that guy that just falls out of it, you know, because we keep waiting for Brinson, waiting for Brinson. What if finally he is this? We're seeing the beginnings of him, you know, establishing himself there like they always wanted in the first place. So good that that's good to see for him. But yeah, going back to the injury part. I, the, out of all of that, I think the Eliezer thing was very encouraging because he was supposed to be that number three guy in that rotation. So the sooner you can get him back, the better, because six, though, like Kim Wang said, is going to be a little bit. And right now, and you just really can't count on, you know, Cabrera and Guzman, guys that haven't pitched, you know, barely. Well, one hasn't at all, and the other barely in the major leagues. You can't, like, just have that and say, okay, that's – uh, you know, the patch that's going to come in for the rotation. They have to go through it still. But Eliezer is the one guy that has the experience that you think as soon as we can get him, at least we don't have to be scratching and clawing for those fourth and fifth spots like they've been. Yeah, and that was going to be my next part of this because we've seen how good Trevor – we've seen how great Trevor Rogers has been. We know how good Sandy, Sandy Alcantara is. We know how good Pablo Lopez is. The rest of the rotation. There isn't has much there been that, yeah. a rest of the rotation? It really hasn't. I mean, so I mean, mean there has, but you know yeah. what I mean. Bodies, no, I mean, but yeah, there have been bodies, and we're going on. And just as a disclaimer, I should mention up top, we're recording this Monday before I fly out to Phoenix, even though this is going to be published on Tuesday. So yeah, so there, take that, people that call say he's always on vacation. Yeah, this guy woke up. He hasn't had his. He hasn't had his waffles yet. He hasn't had his coffee yet. He's here in a T-shirt doing this podcast just like, you know, eight in the morning. He's got to fly like four and a half hours out to Arizona. You know, t- tell me this man's not working. Yeah, but to go with the timing of it, the Marlins are doing another bullpen day to open the road trip. It's going to be, I believe we can consider this the third day, the third time they're doing a bullpen day since all this happened. And outside- Only three? I feel like they've had like five or six of these already. Surprisingly, because, well, because, well, I mean, if you want to include the one Paul Campbell start where he actually was the first guy out of the pen, we can consider that four. So four. And the Mets game they got suspended was supposed to be be a bullpen day as well. That's why. Okay. So So see, it could have been five. So basically, you can, it's anywhere from three to five, depending on how you technically define it. Yeah. Too many. And and still with all the rehab that's still coming for these guys, it could be another three. Exactly. And then that last spot was bounced around between Daniel Castano, who has been middle of the road at best and lackluster at lackluster otherwise. Nick Knighter, whose three starts have not impressed. And then it's the openers have Ross Detweiler throw two innings, have Jordan Holloway throw three, have have uh, John Curtis throw two, have Adam Simber throw two, and just patch it together, which to the Hasn't John Curtis pitched like in every game this year almost? Adam Simber has pitched in almost every game. I believe okay, John Curtis them, really. has as well. No, they both have been they've been workhorses and they both have finally started to figure it out as well. I mean, yeah. the bullpen and the bullpen overall, if I'm right, since that first eight, nine games where they really were bad, they're hovering around a two ERA from the from the bullpen. Which of course yeah. it helps when you have those bullpen days where you go eight innings and you're shut out. It you do eight shutout innings. But that's but, the whole thing. How sustainable exactly. is that? And to exactly. me, it, honestly, it's not. And and that's where eventually these guys, you know, like they're they're going to need Eliezer back. They're going to need. And you talked about a couple of those other guys, but think about it. We'll go, again, we go back to it. 
how much major league experience does Castano have? How much major league experience does Nidert have? And you're throwing these guys into these roles where typically you're trying to bring them along, you know, kind of break the ice and really get that experience of the first time, but they're being thrown in the fire and asked to do this. And they're, you know, they're, if the results aren't spectacular, I mean, that's, that's understandable, you know? So again, not that we're talking that you know, coming in and he's going to be Kershaw, but he was pretty good in the spring. And he's I think it's a, it's a stable for the injury too. Yeah. And, and he's a guy that can stabilize at least that, that, that third spot there. And then you can kind of, you know, maybe one less that you have to patch and piece together until, you know, let's say six though, where to get back and stuff like that. But Still three weeks minimum, and probably and probably more on six though, because she said June, but I think that's into June, not yes. June first. All of a sudden, he's right there, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. To break down the relief appearance numbers, since you asked about that, uh, Dylan Floro's actually done the most, seventeen of the thirty-three games. Richard Blyer, Adam Simber, and Yemi, fifteen games each. Anthony Bass and John Curtis, fourteen games each. Yeah. It's too, they're taxing those arms, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you're gonna your your bullpen's gonna chew up innings during the course of a season. We know that, but this early, I'd say it's pretty you know large amount right now, and that, and that's the problem. You don't want to overtax all of those guys because then when you do get your starters back, you're still gonna need them to at least come in and clutch innings and 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 finish games. It's not like guys are gonna start coming in and throwing eight or eight, seven or eight every every time. You know, maybe Sandy will if Sandy keeps throwing six or seven at least. But beyond that, you know, that bullpen usage thing, I think it's an ongoing theme with this team and something to keep to continue to keep an eye on because it's really not sustainable in the, in the long term right now until they can get some of these bodies back. The one move that I will be curious to see if it's made before they start getting the rest of their depth back is will they finally pull the trigger and – move Jordan Holloway out of the bullpen because Kim A has mentioned a couple times that they still view him as a starter. He went three innings the last bullpen day and he said, and it seems like they're trying to build his reps up, build his, build his strength up, build his innings up. Yeah. Outing. And they may have to at least try it. And also he's been good. I mean, 10 yeah. shutout innings. He's only given up four hits and three walk. He struck out 10. The numbers are there. You're seeing the progression from him, especially from a guy who only had one outing at the big leagues in 2020 before being part of that COVID group. He's, un- I mean, when we look at guys and being thrown into the fire, he's taking it in stride and has if, shown that he can handle it. If his command is there, for the most part, the stuff is really good. We know that he's a high velo guy. I think he would be really good in that role. And yeah, I, I think they will. I think they'll they'll at least try. I mean, I'd I'd see him getting at least one, maybe you know, two starts. And unless he bombs, you know, it, it, you have to because you need some sort of bridge until you can get these guys we were just talking about uh, back in in your rotation. You know, and if he can do it right now, he's he's making a case for himself. I'd say you know, let him roll, give him give him at least like a spot start, see what happens, give him a couple, and and. See if he can sustain it, and if it works out, absolutely. Because again, like I said, I mean that the problem with him was always, you know, command and 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 locating. And when, but if he's starting to do that, we've seen the you know we've seen that pitch arsenal he's got. We've seen the fastball how how, how strong it can be. I, I think it's worth a shot for sure. 
Yeah, and to wrap up this first half of the of the show, got to talk about Anthony Bender. I mean, just mm. what a story he was. The Marlins get him from Indy Ball. He looks really good in spring, but obviously you're not going to bring him to the big leagues right away. A, he's not on the 40-man roster. B, you want to give him a chance for a little bit of seasoning. He gets called up at the he gets called up during this part during the homestand, makes three appearances and looked just as good as we saw him in spring. I mean yeah. his his fastball, it's his fastball is averaging 97. His slider's averaging 85 with a lot of swing and miss. Three innings, five Ks, no walks, gave up one hit. I mean, couldn't ask for a better debut. And and like you said, his stuff is playing well at this at the major league level. Yeah, feel definitely one of the feel good stories, and, and much, uh, you know, again, perfect timing. You get another, you get another fresh arm in there that you desperately need right now. Yeah, and with that, I'm just gonna leave the little teaser out there. Expect a little something more on the origin of the Marlins finding Anthony Bender coming in the next week or so. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little minor league baseball. First week of minor league season is over. There's a lot to highlight from the Marlin, from the farm, Marlins farm system. So we'll be right back and we'll take you down to the farm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, everyone, we're back. So minor league baseball for the first time since 2019, it's back. It returned. The first week, the first series of games is done and over with. Monday, the universal off day has arrived. So obviously it's a six-game sample size, and a lot of things are likely going to ebb and flow as the season goes on. But my goodness, Jesus Sanchez, what a, <laughs> what a first week back. I mean, if we just look at the basic numbers that he had, he had an OPS of 1646. He drove in 12 runs. He had multiple, he had multi-hit games in five of the six games. He had three home runs. He had a five for five game, which he was a double short of the cycle. Mm. His defense was great. And he looks like he's having fun, which we noticed which will be in the story online on the Miami Herald website at some point on either Monday or Tuesday, just he was struggling a lot mentally when he went one for 25 in the big leagues and was called down. And just the grand moment of making his debut went awry. He basically said that baseball stopped being fun at one point between that shock of what it takes to be a big leaguer. And then some early struggles when he was in the winter league. He just found times that he wasn't having fun playing it and then had a mental switch. Things turned around and the happy go lucky, upbeat, optimistic, really good baseball playing Jesus Sanchez has finally come back. Well, I think even, even if it's not uh, as far as like fun, but I think the fact that he just wasn't stressing 
I think is the biggest thing because I, that, that was the feedback I got. I remember when I did the the project for Baseball America on him was the moment got to him. That was the phrase I kept hearing last year when it was the one for 25 and all that. I think he just put too much pressure on himself being called up. I mean, he was obviously everybody's happy when they get called up, but it really just, you know, all kind of overwhelmed him from, and he didn't just play within himself and let his natural, you know, tools and what he, and what he knows how to do at the plate just kind of, you know, come through. And, you know, even if you don't have great results, but I think that how drastically bad it was, was contributed by that. And now, but they said, but the other part of the feedback there was the second he went back, I remember to the alternate training site last year, they said, okay, he's him again. So what happened? It was just like the big stage got them for, for, you know, the first time, but the hope was, you know, continue to work. And then when you next get your opportunity, things are, you know, he's going to look like the, the, the prospect with the, the toolsy prospect that, that they expect him to be. And again, it's not the major league level yet, but I think this is maybe like a snapshot of him kind of like doing some of the things you just said and, and really getting back to the swing that he, that he can put, you know, showing the power, showing the ability to hit, you know, to all fields and produce, you know, and, and, and consistently produce as well. And then, you know, you, you'll see, but the, if you've read it yet, or you're about to read about the time you listen to this, but you know, the description of the plays he can make in the outfield too. We know this guy, you know, again, five tool potential guy, that can be a future outfielder for this team and, and, and a really athletic, really exciting one as well. And, and, you know, it's good to see, but I'm, I'm hoping that he'll get his chance sooner than later, especially with this depleted outfield right now that maybe he will have a Jesus Sanchez sighting in the corners somewhere down the road, because, you know, they, they could use that boost, especially if he's playing again, playing with himself, not, you know, not, not, not getting too caught up in the moment. Yeah, playing with himself. And also, he has that lefty bat, which the Marlins really don't have in their lineup right now. They have Corey Dickerson. They have Eason or Jazz, right. whoever runes up at second. Which plays so well. Sierra, that, yeah. Right, exactly. Which plays so well at home. And, and, that, and when you project that future lineup, we're always talking about how many lefties potentially could be there in the next year or two. And he is front and center as, as one of those guys. Yeah, and the switch from hitting to pitching. Marlins 2020 draft picks. There were some pretty good debuts there, and yeah. I know Max Meyer is normally where we need to start, but <laughs> I think we need to start with Jake Eater. I mean, yeah, I mean, Bandy Kid. He's also in the Double A rotation. I no, never no thought Max, pop- no Dax, no. Let's go to no, Jake. I never thought that when going through the debuts of the first of of the 2020 draft picks that Max Max Meyer would be topped, but Jake either matched him tip for tat with five scoreless innings. He, he worked a four strikeout inning in his first, first inning of pro ball because his second strikeout was a drop strike three that the runner reached base struck out 12 guys, gave up just one hit, walk three, 55 strikes and 88 pitches. I mean, yeah. His fastball's pretty his fastball's in the mid nineties. He has an above average curveball that helped with getting a lot of those strikeouts. As the fourth round guy, I mean, I know he's a Vanderbilt guy. I know he has the he has that connection with again playing in the SEC, like we talked about last on the podcast last week, but he far and away impressed me far more than I thought he was going to his first time out. 
we've seen Jake Eater ever since he was a Calvary Christian. And yes. we remember how big, you, you know, the big presence on the mound, lefty, all that. And he showed it since then. But in college, the biggest thing was consistency because he struggled a little bit at times. He was like really, you know, the, the stuff was off. The command wasn't there and it really hurt him. But then you had this Jake Eater and he showed that at times. And that was a big part of why Vandy won the College World Series because of when he did pitch that way. But it's also created him as a, in a projection where we don't really know if this is a starter. We don't really know if this is going to be an elite reliever. And we still don't know. But you do know that this this package does exist to, to go out there and do what he did this past week. And if he does, again, it's another boon for this pitching staff down the road. And I think it was good to see because, you know, right out of the shoot, you wanted to see a, a big jump. And these guys, he's one of the guys that was mentioned a lot as one of the guys from that draft class that, that definitely they wanted to keep an eye on. And um, they meaning the Marlins organization, you know, and not, not, and, and, and scouts too are saying, you know, if, if he could take a jump, if, uh, if this kind of a pitcher shows up, if he's, if he has the control, if he has the command and, and, and working the secondary pitchers as well as he did this week. So again, it's one week, but you saw the good Jake Eater. Now it's a matter of, can he keep on more often than not doing that and not, you know, and not and not really struggle and slide into some of the old habits that he's had before over the next few weeks and stay consistent. Was this an accidental make Andre PLO moment? I just I forgot the Calvary Christian connection until you brought it up. <laughs> no, it, it, you know what? That doesn't go that far back. That doesn't go that way. Chris Chinea, that that threw me a little further back because Chris Chinea is older than Jake Eater. I think, yeah, he is, and and that goes back to about what, 10 years ago when, when he was at Gulliver almost? I mean, that that one, yeah. Not this one, though. Okay. and now He was, he was over there with your boy uh, that, that went to Florida, um, uh, the other pitcher. I forgot his name right now. I'm drawing a blank. It's too early in the morning. The, the, the two of them were at Calvary. I'm blanking. We'll figure this out after the podcast, and I'll <laughs> mention it in the write-up. Uh, yeah. But now to go to Max Meyer. Again, he also went five scoreless innings. He was on the eight. Pitch count, innings count. They weren't going to let him go over 75 pitches or five innings. Five scoreless innings. Has a no-hitter through four and two-thirds. Uh, one hit allowed, one walk allowed. The walk was erased by a double play. Five strikeouts, mostly thanks to that slider that sits between 86 and 90 and has a lot of movement. Uh, fastball sat between 93 and 97. His final pitch was at clocked in at 96 mile an hour per the – MILB TV broadcast and he just looked good. He looked like the guy that the Marlins said they were getting when they drafted him third overall last year. Yeah, and they, and they couldn't wait to see him. That was the that again, he's one of the biggest um he not I'm sorry, let me rephrase it. Now he was one of the biggest disappointments. One of the biggest disappointments of not having the season last year was not being able to see what we saw to Max Meyer cuz they just couldn't wait, but now you're seeing it against other competition, and it's encouraging because he, this is the guy that could be a future piece in this rotation when he's pitching with that kind of velo, with that kind of nasty stuff with the, both the slider and the fastball. And again, early on, he's still in a pitch limit. You know, we're going to, like they said, they're probably only going to pitch him. It's not going to be once every five days in the beginning. It's going to be kind of, 
you know, once a week, you know, skip, you know, give him a couple extra days and try to keep his arm fresh. But I think he's going to be a must see early on, you know, up there in Pensacola, because this is the, this is a future potential rotation piece here. And I think it's going to be exciting to watch that, that arm develop and, and the way they manage him carefully. Yeah. And just to quickly run through the other three guys, Dax Fulton, pitching for the first time in a live game since September 19 when he underwent Tommy John surgery. Uh, three innings, three earned runs on four hits and two walks with a pair of strikeouts. Obviously, the numbers themselves don't look great, but everything really just imploded on him in the second inning. Gave up two hits. He gave up two four-pitch walks, had a couple wild pitches, but he also struck out two with the curveball that shows a little bit that can be an above-average pitch. Uh Kyle Nicholas in uh, Beloit, five innings, one earned run, allowed on one hit, walked four, struck out eight through 80 pitches in the in five innings, got into the sixth, but was taken out after he gave up a leadoff walk in the sixth. A lot of stuff to like and really good start for him. And then third-round pick Zach McCambly gave up two runs on four hits and two walks over four innings, and he struck out seven. So there were a lot of good pieces there. And again, it's one start. Let's see what happens as they continue going, as they face teams again, as people start getting more reports on them. But overall, pretty impressive stuff for five pitchers, all of whom are among the Marlins' top 25 prospects per pipeline. Yeah. I mean, I I, I treat these a little bit like spring training where, you know, the results, you kind of take them, you know, a little bit of grain of salt, you look at it, but especially with that in Dax's case, because to me, the biggest victory is Dax's pitching, you know, especially coming off the surgery, you need to get this guy on the mound again. You need to get, you need to get him pitching as much as possible, obviously within, within reason, but to get him going again, get him back into that usual baseball rhythm, of pitching again. And I think you, you saw the glimpses. I mean, I'm not looking so much at strictly at the, at the final numbers, but really, you know, the little bits, like he talked about how he used his curveball, and that was a good sign. You know, how the, the strikeouts were there attacking the zone, the qualities that they were looking for. And another guy that a lot like Max Meyer, I think is a, is a vital future piece of the, of, of, of this plan. And, and, and the biggest thing with Dax is continue to stay healthy, continue to pitch. And, you know, the more they can get out there and have outings like this and, and continue to learn, continue to hone all, you know, their pitches and, and their command and just continue to work, I think is going to be, you know, really beneficial. And then to, you know, just to sum it up, it's just the benefit of having minor league baseball back where these guys can face other batters and, and really work in a game setting again. Yeah, definitely. And Dre, any other guys who you want to highlight that just looking through what we saw from the first week again, like we said, it's the first week, but just there were a few bright spots out there other outside of just this group. Well, I think I'm going to highlight the guy who I think might be by late summer could end up being the starting first baseman on this team. If certain factors, which we won't say right now, happen, and that's Lewin Diaz, you know, because, I mean, look at the power that he continues to show. You know, three home runs through his first six games, already tied for you know for the the lead or no for third over there in the Triple A East with ten RBI. You know the three oh eight batting average, good. I mean, obviously you're going to have a good batting average when you're clocking home runs left and right, but also it's not just all or nothing. Like he's consistently hitting over there. 
defensively, we know what he can do. You know, a lot of people feel like he's been major league ready defensively at the, at first base for a while. And again, I, I say that about late summer because if certain factors happen, you know, down the road, we're, we'll see where this team is at in July. But you know, you never know if certain moves are made, and then he has the chance to come up and stay up. I think you know, Lewin Diaz is playing himself into that position eventually. You know, maybe even this season for the Marlins. So it's exciting to see him continue. Not, you know, he doesn't have a drop off. He's picking up right where he left off and and continuing to keep going. And then beyond him, you know, JJ's off to a little bit of a slow start results wise. But again, I like I said before, I'm we're, I'm playing the long game with these guys. You got to see how they do over over several weeks, not just one. So you know, I think we'll. You know, we'll learn more as it goes on. And Gerard, Encarnacion, I like the fact that he got the home run, showed the power again. You know, him and Burdick both did. So good to see the outfielders, Connor Scott down at Beloit, also, you know, has a, he has two three-hit games so far this year. So that that all, that's also an encouraging sign because we know how much he struggled early on in his career. And, again, he's starting to – to pick it up the last, you know, couple of times he's been able to, even last year at the alternate site was showing better results. And just like Dax, good to have Osiris Johnson on the field. You know, it's like, it's like he forgot who he was after three years, almost, but not, not seeing him in a minor league game. So, you know, not just step on the field, not just step to the plate, but he hit two home runs in his first week. So that was big as well. Yeah, yeah, Osiris to me the guy I was gonna highlight, but de- again, definitely great to see him. Uh, I want I'm gonna go a little bit with Nassim Nunez. The in offensive numbers weren't there; he was only three for seventeen in terms of hitting, but he drew seven walks, and when he got on the base paths, he stole six bases, scored six runs. So he's showing that ability to create havoc on the base paths. Just needs to get that batting average up a little more, or at least just keep walking the way he has. I mean, when he gets on the bases, he's seeming sort of, and again, this is Jupiter, not the big leagues, but on the minor league level, what Jazz has been doing at the big leagues of get on base and just make opponents know that you're going to do something on the base paths. Yeah. And going back to, yeah, really quick, going back to Blade, he's played all three outfield spots, which, you know, and the minors, you tend to do that. You tend to move around. Guys are trying out different positions or whatnot, but that's interesting the fact that, you know, it's not just in the corners for Bladey. They're trying him out in center field a little bit. Yeah, and Gerard also got a couple reps at first base as well, which, again, continuing that versatility that we saw in spring, which I feel like is going to be needed for him, especially with the wealth of outfielders that they have and just trying to find that an extra way, an extra opportunity to give him a chance to get through, to rise through the system. Most definitely. And Victor Mesa Jr., 313 average, six RBIs through three game, through four games. I'm sorry. Let's not forget about him because he had that massive jump when it comes to projections after coming off last year. So, you know, little, little Mesa, I think it's still someone that, that, that to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week, mainly because I have a flight that I have to catch sooner rather this than later. This man has to go to work. This man has to go to work. He's not going to sit on his couch now for like six hours and watch Netflix and and, and forget about life. No, 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 no. He's, he, he is on a plane. He's going to be – and then when he's on this plane, he's not going to be having a Jack and Coke and 
or maybe he is, but he's also going to have the laptop in his in front of him, and he's going to be doing some kind of work, whether it's Marlins research or helping out uh, the end of the year on the high schools. You know, any you know anything that Miami Herald can throw at him. Yeah, I've got to get those baseball and softball ballots done so we can actually <laughs> see. So we can actually collaborate on that over over the week. But anyway, on that note, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Fish Bites. We'll be back again next week. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone.